0: What does it mean to be holiness people? I think it means to live like Christ. But not in a way that can only imagine what is humanly possible. In other words, what would I do if I was Christ? Not in that way. It's too easy to become bifurcated that way. It's too easy to look at Sammy and say, no, 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 no. Jesus' people can't exist with purple hair. Because my imagination cannot imagine Jesus' people with purple hair. It's too easy to say that Jesus' people can't wear jeans. (laughs) If you've been around the Nazarene Church for a while, you'll know what I'm talking about here. No, I'm not talking about um, a holiness way that can only imagine what is humanly possible. But to be Christ-like in a way that is filled by the Holy Spirit to speak and to live. With the words of life. Derek, is it possible to go to a valley of dry bones and to speak like God speaks? I want to proclaim this morning that holiness people are people that are freed and made open (laughs) to imagine and to live like Christ. By the act of faith. This morning I want to talk to you. About holiness as an act of faith. Because. When you explore the doctrine of holiness. And you begin to uncover these grand optimistic. Imaginative beliefs that one can live a life free of sin. It becomes hard to imagine that that is true. That in this dark. Dusty, decaying world. That in some ways, some people may say that the world we live in, some are arguing this right now. Our friend Scott Daniels is arguing this right now. That the world we live in is very comparable to being in the Babylonian exile. Huh. That is it possible when no one else believes what we believe, Donnie? When no one else is listening to our Moral proclamations that it's actually possible for this community in this little space, for the 70 of us, to live like Christ. I spent a week with my brother in San Francisco last week. Uh, My brother, he's different. He's been fascinated with paranormal activity since he was in third grade. I found this out last week. He wanted to show me a movie called The Mantok Chronicles. Has anyone ever heard of Mantok, uh, New Jersey, specifically Mantok Air Force Station? Okay, well, it closed in the 1960s. It's in Mantok, New Jersey, so it's uh, actually just right across from New York City. But uh, to get there by car would take about a 120-mile drive to get around the inlet over there to Mantok. It sits on a point, and in the 1960s, they closed this Air Force station down. But there's been reports and really interesting conspiracy theories okay, that underneath Mantok Air Force Station, they kept it alive clear until 1983, that what was happening underneath the Mantok Air Force Station is actually a mystery. They turned it into a place called Camp Hero, and this Camp Hero, whatever may have lived on the grounds of the Mantok Air Force Station and what might, could have been, who knows really if there was something underneath the Air Force Station, but it's been a source of normal activity and space-time continuum for decades. Okay, this is your sort of thing. If science fiction is your sort of thing, or paranormal activity, you wouldn't call that fiction. Uh, if that's your thing, I, I t- look it up. Go, I, you got phones? Look it up, man. Man, talk, uh, New Jersey. Um, it's given literature and film a rich material to draw from for quite some time. In fact, any fans of the TV show Stranger Things? A few. It's directly driven. From the Mantok Project, okay, it's directly driven from this. All right, uh, uh, so is it true that some government conspiracy was alive underneath the base of uh, of Mantok Air Force Station? Specifically, the conspiracy is that uh, they had somehow found ways. To communicate across the space-time continuum, and when they did, it ripped a hole in the in the it ripped a hole in time and physically allowed a pathway between us and whatever. And whatever was on the other side was this monster that then came. It's just like Stranger Things. Uh, that whatever is on this, uh, this monster, and so they call it the Mantok monster of this hole in the space-time continuum that was ripped open at the base of the Air Force Station. Is that true? I. Who knows, right? You know why you won't ever know? You know why you won't ever know? You'll never get down there. You know why you'll never get down there? Because I have no idea what lives on. The, I have no idea. But there are, there are doors, and there are portals, and there are pathways, and there's even an elevator. That all have like shafts that go down, or doors that open on the on the ground that you open them up and they go down. And those are cemented up, and they're flooded. All the pathways that would lead to any type of answers are all closed for us. Is the government trying to hide something? Who knows? Probably for our safety, right? (laughs) Right? Probably for our safety. Who knows what's down there? But it's led to people like my brother who cannot shut their mind off, who are so brilliant. My brother is so smart. He cannot shut his mind off, and so he just, he, he begins to wonder what it is behind closed doors that they won't let us see, that there's got to be something that lives behind these closed doors. You know, when I think about holiness, sometimes I think more about closed doors than I think about what lives behind them. I think about a doctrine, and sometimes even a people, that have been shaped by a God who constantly comes to us telling us what's not possible. A morally shaped ethic that tells us first what we don't do before it ever allows us to know what it is that we do. Thinking about holiness correctly, I think, begins with the right understanding about the subject and object of the story of God. Meaning that when God creates... Who is the subject of that sentence? It is not us. It is God. And when God makes it possible, I'm going to give away my sermon, dang it. When God makes it possible for Ezekiel to stand in front of dry bones, in which we would say is a closed door impossibility, who makes that possible? Is it Ezekiel's right living? Or is it the movement and spirit of God? Who is the subject of the story? You would think that this is an elementary point, but I would argue from my experience at least it's a thing we get tripped up on all the time. I am not the subject of this church. This is not my church. The church board is not the subject of this church. It's not the church board's job to make sure that Saturday runs smooth. Jody is not the subject of our children's ministry. It's not her job to lead things well. So let that play around. Holiness, if it's not about us, if we're not the subject, Justin, if it's not your job, <laughs> then it's not about our performance. Holiness is not, Ron, about the performance of our faith. I would want to say that holiness is about trusting that God will do what God said he will do. I want to think that holiness is a matter of trusting that when God says he will purify us, set us apart and make us holy, that the flat mountains will one day be mountains again and the dry rivers will one day flow again and the deserts that are hot and mucky will one day produce flowers and be robust. That the God that promises us that we will resurrect That that's not on you (laughs) to sit and grunt real hard until you resurrect. It is a mystery behind doors that seem impossible and closed. How God is going to resurrect those bones, I don't know. But instead of trying to figure it out, what if we invited people to have imaginations to trust? Look what God can do to a strip mall. In 1987, that looked dilapidated and closed to the public. Look what God can do with people that are shaped by resurrection truth every week. Glory, hallelujah, that's good. I believe that holiness is about believing in God's activity and purpose. To instill God's character into, within, and upon God's good creation. I I had so much fun writing that, Cindy, that I want to say it again. God's, I believe that holiness is believing. It's a matter of faith. It's a matter of trust. Not that I'm good enough to live like that. But that God is faithful enough that old rag and bones me, that's a good song, the old rag and bones me, that me, that's a good artist, excuse me, that me, rag and bones, can one day live a life that others say, whoa, what I thought was all closed up. (laughs) I never thought good could come from that. All right. Holiness is believing in God. I told you I was going to tell you this. Let me just tell you. Holiness is believing in God's activity and purpose to instill God's character into, within, and upon God's good creation. And so the principal story for this morning is a story I think most of us are familiar with. If you're not familiar with Bible study, it's a very accessible passage. It's Ezekiel. Ezekiel is located for me. About 700 pages into the Bible, okay? It's right kind of in the middle. It's chapter 37. It's the first 14 verses. I would say get carried away and read the whole, read the whole daggum thing. But if you want to just get introductory information, Ezekiel 37, the first 14 verses. If this story is not familiar to you, this is where I'm drawing from this story Ezekiel chapter 37, the first 14 verses. But Ezekiel, after God tells Ezekiel that He's going to instill a clean heart and a new responsive heart into the people. And that he's going to wash them clean and purify them. He then instructs Ezekiel to go out to a fairly common uh, practice. It's a, a Zoroastrian practice in which they would bury dry bones. They wouldn't bury them. They would let the excuse me they would let the flesh rot off the dry bones and just be exposed on, on ground. And so there in the desert would just be a bunch of bones. In the midst of Babylonian captivity, it's possible that there was a lot, lot of deaths. It was a pretty brutal time. And so it's, unfortunately, it's per, like, like we have landfills for them. It was fairly accessible to go to a field with a bunch of like uh, bones. And so God tells Ezekiel to go out to one of these fields These fields of dry bones. And so Ezekiel goes out there. And God says, now listen Ezekiel, I want you to prophesy to these dry bones. I want you to speak to them. Do you believe that I can make these dry bones come back to life? And Ezekiel looks to God and essentially says, well if you say it so. If you say so. If you think so, I know that I cannot, but if you think so. And so what's the power of this story? The power of this story is that Ezekiel believed that the breath of God could do just that. And so God says, Ezekiel, I want you to prophesy to these dead bones that they come back to life. And I want you to watch what will happen when I tell you to say this. That the sinews and the flesh... And the ligaments will begin to grow on these rotten, archaic bones. And they will come back to life when I say so. And so guess what Ezekiel does? He goes to the valley of calamity and death and violence. And looking at all of these bones, he begins to speak like God. Because God's Spirit is in Ezekiel. And the Spirit begins to animate this prophet. And the Spirit begins to fill up this prophet from the bottom of his feet, clear to the tops of his head, and so that when the prophet speaks, he speaks with the Spirit of God that was alive in Genesis 1, bringing about life from chaos. This breath that comes out of Ezekiel's mouth is the very breath that only knows how to bring dust up to life. So what do you think happens? This is not Ezekiel living right. This is the faithfulness of the Spirit of God living within Ezekiel, bringing about life where only death should exist. Let me tell the story another way. Ezekiel goes to portals and pathways that have been damned and closed up and cemented. There's no possible way that you could find out what can live from these bones, they're dead. But yet, that's the most powerful, one of the most powerful phrases of Scripture. But yet, when God called Ezekiel, he filled Ezekiel with his spirit. I know that belief in God is a radical faith that frees us. It frees us from the co-opted imaginations of a broken and bifurcated world where only two polar opposites are possible. And it frees us to open and unlimited possibilities where God's purposes and God's designs are actualized for the believer. In fact, God's purposes, even the stuff that's impossible, like the salvation of your children, you know, like the salvation of your coworker who's a total idiot. I'm talking about the complete impossibility, right? Like our neighbors who come from totally different backgrounds and totally different cultures that somehow we could be unified by the spirit and we could live in relation to one another. I'm talking about your marriage, the total impossibilities, right? The things that we look at and we say that these are closed, that this will only die. I'm talking about our church. <laughs> our church, who along the way, some people said this thing's only good for death. <laughs> but when God, who's looked upon you, friends, with favor, decides to animate you with the Spirit, oh, there's only one thing that could deny that, and that's a heart that doesn't believe it. I believe that God, believing in God, is a radical faith that frees us to open and unlimited possibilities where God's purposes and designs are actualized for us. They're stamped upon our lives. They're written upon our heart. The Spirit is at work transforming us to bear the very image of our holy and pure and perfect God, which is seen in the person of Jesus Christ. Here is my sermon. We can... And we are meant to be Christ-like. That means to stand in the midst of something that's dead and call it back to life. You can live like that. You are meant to live like that. It begins by believing, by trusting, by making yourself open. When you say, yes, spirit, fill me, watch out, Ezekiel's about to happen. To live as image bearers. To live as holy people is the way that God designed us, to live in the Holy Spirit, free to be people of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Kevin, you can come. Justin, you may get ready. I want us to imagine. Maybe you're already imagining lives not closed, Not closed to the power of what might happen on Saturday. But free. Not closed to the power of what might happen in your jobs tomorrow morning. Not writing things that God, you know, God, I would really like you to heal this person. Or I would really like you to bring my child back to faith. But I know that's going to be probably impossible. No. What if you begin to dare with imaginative faith in a free God who moves and lives and acts on God's own purposes and can do immeasurably more than we could ever imagine. What might be possible with the bones of New Beginnings Church? What might be possible with the bones of Chipman Commons? What might be possible with the bones of the Edwards family or your family or your family or your family? when God is free to go beyond closed doors and do immeasurably more than we could ever imagine. Lord, we trust in your spirit. Move. Amen.